Father, tonight we come to you and we thank you for creating in us a new heart and renewing a right spirit within us. Tonight as we come to hear your word, we ask that it would not just be an academic teaching, that we would take notes and have another one in our holster, but it would be the word of the living God that would have application in our lives regarding prayer and warfare, that we can be effective ministers of the gospel, we can have relationship with you through prayer, and we can release your will in the earth through warfare and proclamation and declaration that truly it might be done in earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen. Tonight I want to talk about the seven types of prayer and the three levels of warfare. Why would we talk about these two things in one night? Because they're related. Prayer is like inhaling. Preaching or declaration in warfare is like exhaling. If you're always in warfare, exhaling, but you haven't spent time in prayer inhaling, you don't have anything to give. So go ahead and take a deep breath in. Now go ahead and blow it out. Now stop right there. Blow out a little more. Continue to blow out. Continue to blow out. Did you see how you lost power after a while? Much prayer, much power. Little prayer, little power. No prayer, no power. When we become powerless in ministry or warfare, or witnessing, or healing, what's happened is, we've become prayerless. Turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 12. 1 Samuel chapter 12. Right next to the book of Hezekiah. Just kidding. <laughs> know your 66 books of the Bible. Hey, and you know what? We all grow in this thing. There's nothing wrong with turning to the table of contents and finding out what page it's on. I've actually done that in a sermon, you know? A book just disappeared out of my body. Went to the table of contents, it reappeared supernaturally. 1 Samuel chapter 12, verse 23. This is Samuel the prophet. Samuel the prophet said this. He said, Moreover, as for me, God forbid that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you. Prayerlessness is sinfulness. The New Testament says, pray without ceasing. So when we are prayerless, we're not just on the brink of going into sinfulness. Prayerlessness is sin because it's missing the mark because we're commanded to pray without ceasing. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6, New Testament. Can you, can you tell me, was that 1 Samuel chapter 12 or 2 Samuel? 1 Samuel chapter 12, verse 23. Great question. 1 Samuel chapter 12, verse 23. Samuel is saying to Saul, Far be it for me that I should sin against God in ceasing to pray for you. Anytime we stop praying for someone because, you know, we're just offended by them, you know what, if nothing else, we need to pray for them for our own benefit so we can get set free from the bitterness. 
And you know, our attitude will change toward that person because we'll get the heart of God for that person instead of our own heart. Remember this, when we pray, God elevates our thinking and our understanding and He gives us an aerial perspective to look down on the matter. From an aerial perspective, you can see things a lot clearer and it's a bigger perspective. From an earthly or a horizontal perspective, you know, we only have a couple of snapshots. But from the aerial perspective, we got the movie. And so when we pray, we make vertical communication with God. At that point, we get an aerial perspective. And then, horizontally across the earth with mankind, you see the cross there, right? Mm -hmm. Inhaling, exhaling. Inhaling in prayer, exhaling in ministry or warfare, right? So here's what happens. When we do that, God changes us, and then over time, He'll change that person. Sometimes we'll find out that they're not the one that needed to change in the first place. <laughs> Amen or out. Yeah. So. You know, another thing that happens in prayer, God will soften your heart or my heart towards somebody when we begin to pray for them. Because we'll find out that the things they're doing or the way they're acting out, we'll supernaturally find out things that we didn't know. And we only knew this much. And when we find out the rest, we're like, well, no wonder, my gosh, if I was in that situation, I don't think I'd be doing as good as they are. So prayer changes us. Prayer can change the person. Prayer can change the circumstance. But one thing's for sure. Prayerfulness brings power. Prayerlessness causes us to lose power. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18. It's the Apostle Paul speaking. And he's just touched on the armor of God, the seven-piece armor of God. And this is what he said. Verse 18, praying always with all prayer. Turn to your neighbor and say all prayer. All prayer. Wait a second, there's more than one type of prayer? Yes, all kinds of prayer. And we're going to look tonight at the seven different types of prayer. Now you can break them up into whatever categories you want. You can call them three, you can call them four, you can call them five, you can call them seven. For all I know, there might be more than seven. But the seven that I'm aware of, I'm going to share with you tonight. Amen? <laughs> Ephesians 6.18 says, Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. You know, we can pray without the Spirit. It's not a very effective prayer. You ever heard somebody stand up and they're just praying and praying and praying like a good Pharisee? Lord, I'm glad I'm not like other men. I give a tenth of all I do. I fast twice a week. You know? And then somebody else comes up and you're like, well, their prayer is not real fancy. And they're just beating their chest. Oh, Lord, forgive me. I'm a sinner. And that man is more justified than the Pharisee. That's what Jesus said about that. So you can have prayer that is without the Spirit. But here he says, all prayer must be done in the Spirit. Okay, here's the illustration. In the outer courts of your experience, when you start in prayer, this is how it works. You pray in your own flesh. Things known. Things that you are aware of. But it's from an earthly, horizontal perspective. Right? As you begin to pray, you begin to run out of words. And when you begin to run out of words, the Holy Spirit says, Oh, it's about time. Now maybe He'll let me help in pray. Because I know all things. Okay, so now the Holy Spirit comes alongside to help. The parakletos. 
the helper, the comforter, the one that empowers you. He comes alongside to help, and he begins to give you words. And so now it becomes a mixture of your words and a mixture of his words. It becomes a mixture of logos and rhema. Or sometimes it's just whining and a little bit of him. You know, kind of like you go to McDonald's. If you look at the ingredients of the meat, it's not all meat. It's got a lot of filler in it. That's like our prayer life. It's still edible. It still has effect. But here's the thing. We go from praying without the Spirit to praying with the Spirit to praying in the Spirit. Without the Spirit, outer courts, us. With the Spirit, inner courts, Him and us. Holy of holies, in the Spirit, all of Him and none of us. Here's the thing. In the outer courts, we ask things seen in the natural. In the inner courts, we seek and he begins to reveal. In the holy of holies, in the spirit, that's where revelation flows. Where deep calls unto deep. And he begins to wash over us with the billows of his presence. You've been in worship before. And it wasn't worship. It was pinging and clanging and you were thinking about different things but something happened and the atmosphere changed and all of a sudden boom you're in the spirit and you're not thinking about the person next to you you're not thinking about your phone you're not thinking about what happened during the day because now you're in the presence of the Lord you went from singing or worshiping or praising without the spirit to all of a sudden it was a mixture with the spirit and then you went and began to worship in the spirit where deep calls unto deep. Does that make sense? Yeah. All prayer is to be done in the spirit. But do we start in the spirit? Not very often. God doesn't begin until we get to the end of ourselves. Say that to your neighbor. God doesn't begin. Until you get to the end of yourself. Now look at it and say, God doesn't begin. God doesn't begin. Until I get to the end of myself. Lord, get us to the end of ourselves quick so that you can begin. Amen. Help us, help us, help us. All prayer. The first type of prayer is confession. You know, we think about confession as confession of sin, don't we? That's certainly one aspect of confessing. Confess your faults one to another and pray for one another that you might be healed, right? So if we confess our faults or if we confess our sin to God, that's a type of prayer, isn't it? But I want to talk tonight about an additional type of confession in prayer. Confessing who God is. You are the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You are the God that brought water from the rock. You are the God that parted the Red Sea and enabled the Israelites to draw across on dry ground. See, that's confessing who God is, not just confessing where we've messed up. Now, should we confess where we messed up? Absolutely. We're going to confess our sins. If, he, if we walk in the light as He is in the light, the blood of His Son cleanses us from all sin. So, we're to confess our sins, but we're also to confess who He is. And let me tell you what happens when you begin to confess who God is. Faith begins to rise in you. When you confess that He's God, you are the God that healed the leper. You are the God that brought 
Mary Magdalene and delivered her from seven demons. You are the God that delivered Daniel out of the lion's den. This is a small matter for you to deliver me out of it. You see how faith begins to arise? But when we begin to confess the problem instead of the solution, faith diminishes because the problem grows in size because that's what we're focused on. We confess God and everything He's done, the problem looks smaller, doesn't it? So faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. One of the ways that faith will rise in prayer is by confessing who God is, what He's done in the past, what He's capable of doing now, His desire and His will, and all of a sudden He begins to grow in our mind's eye and the problem begins to become small. You know, King David, when he was a shepherd boy, all the Israelites were afraid of this giant named Goliath. He was a champion warrior, nine foot six inches tall. I mean, he made Shaq look like a small guy. Plus, he was trained for war. And everybody's like frozen in fear with Goliath. And David shows up, little shepherd boy. He's like, what's the big deal? We serve the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This uncircumcised Philistine defies the armies of the living God. Be quiet, David. Pride the little fellow. Just give us our cheese and bread and go on back. Go, go tend to the sheep. He's like, no, what will be given to the person that, that slays this, this Goliath, this giant? Well, you want to pay taxes. You get free from government taxes. You get a house. Let me have it. Let me have it. David, what are you thinking? See, David wasn't looking at the size of the giant. David had been on the backside of the mountain tending to the sheep. And he'd been in prayer. He came forth. He says, the same God that delivered me out of the paw of the bear and out of the paw of the lion will deliver me out of the hand of this uncircumcised Philistine this day. Let me have it. See, he had an experience with God with the lion. He had an experience with God with the bear where God had done something. So he had a faith experience. And when you have a faith experience, you can go after the next one. You don't start off the first time you pray for somebody with a creative miracle, most likely. Sometimes you start with a headache. Then you move to the flu. Then all of a sudden you move to a messed up back. Then all of a sudden you curse a cancer and it shrinks in your hands. See, you get, you get, how do I say this? You have an experience. You get history with God. And based upon your history with God, you know what He's done. You know what He's ready to do. Then you begin to learn His voice. And then you're like, this is a non-issue. People come to me, they're like, oh, David, you know this? I'm like, okay, great. See, because it's not our ability, and I know God's history from the Bible and what He's done. And so it's like, not our ability it's his and he wants to do these things it's his pleasure and joy to do them and so if we have that attitude it's not the size of Goliath that's before us that concerns us it shouldn't concern us at all because we need to be looking at the size of our God and when we look at the size of our God who's infinitely big Goliath looks kind of small in comparison doesn't he you know if you see a big fish a big whale you're like wow that's a pretty big fish but if you look at him compared to the size of the ocean he's small and you know what? There's always a fish bigger that's going to eat the next fish. So God's bigger. We just have to see Him as such. So confession of sin and confession of who God is then builds our faith. Confession of sin puts us in right relationship. Then we can confess who God is. Even if we have to turn around and build our faith that He'll forgive us for the sin we committed. Well, you are the God that forgave David with Bathsheba after he sent the papers on a conspiratorial murder to kill him. That's a pretty big sin. Yeah, God forgave him. Now, there was consequences. Don't encourage you to do that. But there's forgiveness. There's grace. 
G-R-A-C-E, grace. God's riches at Christ's expense. Justice is getting what you deserve. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. And grace is getting something you don't deserve. Amen? Amen. Okay, so the first type of prayer of the seven is confession. Confession of who God is. Confession of our sins. The second one is supplications. That's requests and needs. You know, we're really not in a position to go after the requests and needs until we get back into right relationship through confession of sin. And our faith rises up based on confession of who God is. So once we do that, we can now begin to supplicate or make requests for our needs. Then we can move into intercession for other people. And when you begin to intercede for other people, something happens when you do it in the Spirit. Great breakthroughs begin to happen when you pray and intercede in the Spirit. Turn with me. To Romans chapter 8 verse 26 Romans chapter 8 verse 26 you might say to yourself well you know I I don't really know how to intercede for so and so it's not your ability it's his ability in you we need to get our eyes off ourselves and we need to get the eyes back on the God who lives in us by the Holy Spirit you are fully equipped unto every good work because you have the Holy Spirit know you not that you are the temple of God and the Spirit of God dwells in you Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You say, well, I don't know what my gifts are. Well, you got the gift of the Holy Spirit, and He's got all the gifts. You're cool. Just begin to tap into the gifts within you. Amen. And if you don't know that you got them, then say, Lord, reveal my gifts. And then say, hey, Lord, would you like to use me for intercession today? Or do you want me to watch Oprah? <laughs> Most likely, he's going to say intercession. Sometimes he might have you watch Oprah so you can intercede for the people there. You watch Jerry Springer, it'll definitely be time for intercession. <laughs> okay. Romans 8.26 Likewise, the Spirit, Holy Spirit, also helpeth us in our infirmities or weaknesses. For we don't know what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. The word in the original Greek language here gives a connotation of can't be articulated in human speech or human language. One of the applications here is praying in tongues, an unknown language to you but known to the Spirit. We'll touch on that at a different time. So intercession by the Holy Spirit for others. Otherwise, we have horizontal intercession based upon what we can see, which is limited but when we start to pray in the Spirit, we'll be able to pray things from an aerial perspective, God's perspective, and we'll also know that their roots need to be dealt with, not just the symptom. You ever pray about something, and you're praying the symptom, the symptom, the symptom, what you can see, and then all of a sudden God reveals the root behind it, and you're like, by word of knowledge or word of wisdom, you're like, I never thought about that. Well, they just need to stop drinking caffeine. They'll be fine. You know, or they'll, they just need to, you know, it's just a change of lifestyle. Or, you know what? They need to forgive so-and-so and all this pain in their shoulder and heart will go away. See, we're praying for the pain in the shoulder or the stress in the heart. Or the, and if they just would forgive so-and-so for what happened 23 years ago, it would all go away. So are you praying the symptom or are you praying the root? If you're praying in the natural, without the Spirit, you're going to be praying the symptom. And God in His mercy might alleviate some of it, but that's not the problem. 
It will come back. But if you get by the Holy Spirit and pray, you'll get beneath the surface supernaturally. And you'll pray the root. Or you'll have them confess something that's sin. They'll be free from it. Healing will automatically come. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Praying in the Spirit. In the Spirit. In the, praying without the Spirit. Ask. Praying with the Spirit. Seek. Praying in the Spirit. Knock. Ask and it will be given. Seek and you shall find. Knock and the door will be opened unto you. For everyone who asketh receive. Everyone who seeketh find. Everyone who knocks the door is open. Knock means fellowship. You come in and hang out in his presence. Kind of like the three worlds of prayer there. Outer courts, inner courts, all the way. Okay. Praying in the Spirit. The Holy Spirit helps you in your weaknesses. So intercession by the Holy Spirit is the fourth type of prayer. Sorry, the third type. The fourth type is adoration or worship. You get to a place in prayer where you've already confessed your sin. You've already confessed who God is. You've already had requests and needs. Then you've begun to intercede for others. You want to know what happens? You don't want to leave prayer at this point because you're in His presence. Now you just want to worship Him. Lord, I thank You for who You are. Oh God, I just want to rest in Your presence. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. See, you just, you just roll into that. It's not religious. It's just relationship. You know, when you're with somebody that you really care for, you can just sit on the swing, swing back and forth. You don't even have to say anything to them. Just nice being in the presence, isn't it? Isn't that cool? And that doesn't mean that there's not times during that relationship you don't have conversation, request things from them, make confession of some things you might have done, confess what great things they've done. Sometimes you even have some intense fellowship. Right? <laughs> Marriages are made in heaven. So is thunder and lightning. Okay. <laughs> yeah, get that on tape. Yeah, marriages are made in heaven, so is thunder and lightning. Yeah, marriages are made in heaven, but they're worked out on earth, right? So, so sometimes you're just on that swing, just hanging out in the presence. So worship is worshiping not for what he's done, but for who he is. Let me show you the difference between praise, which is also one of the seven, and worship. When you praise God, it's like this. God, I praise you for who you are. When you worship him, your hands have a tendency to come in. And you just worship him for who he is. We thank him or we praise him for what he's done but we worship Him for who He is. See, worship really only comes by revelation. Praise can come by information. Just won the lottery. Praise God! <laughs> I'm going to leave that alone. <laughs> true story. A friend of mine got the, the lottery numbers while I was reading the book of Numbers 1, 4.8 million. That's true story. And uh, people say, well, you know, like, hey, but you know what? He's used it for righteous things. Amen. I've actually known three people who've won the lottery. One of them was righteous. But anyway, none of them real big money. One for 4.8, another one for 2.1, one for 1.8. True story. I know three people that have won the lottery. And you know what's kind of funny is I think you've got a better chance of getting struck with lightning twice than you do winning the lottery. And I know three guys, and I'm like trying to hang out with them. I think God's saying, buy a ticket. Why not win it? Anyway, so... Praise, your hands go like this. For 
who he, you know, worship, they come in like this. If you were going to catch rain, put your hands out. Now I want you to put them up like this. You can't catch rain that way, can you? Now I want you to just tilt them in. You see how the rain can come in? Isn't that neat? This is worship. This is praise. This is Thanksgiving. We do this at a football game, right? You don't have to be saved or in the Spirit to have Thanksgiving. But you can. There's Thanksgiving in the Spirit. So adoration is worship. The next one is communion, which is really just hanging out and resting in His presence, kind of like on that swing set. You don't have to say anything. It's not about, ah, oh, you're great. Just like, Just resting in his presence. That's a type of prayer. It's not where you become inactive or God. It's like you become connected. You're communing. Last week we had communion, the meal that heals, and we took communion and we felt his presence. We became one with him, with the body and blood of Christ. And one of the things you can do in prayer is you can have communion. Communion is the meal that heals. How often can you take it? As often as you drink of this cup and eat of this cup. How often is that? I don't know. Fifteen times a day. I don't. You know. However often you want to have communion with the Lord, pray without ceasing. The fifth, the sixth thing, five is communion. The sixth is thanksgiving for what He's done and what He'll do. And the seventh thing is praise, just glorify Him and His name. So we've got one confession, confession of who God is and our sins, supplication, requests and needs, intercession is three by the Holy Spirit, obviously for others, adoration, which is worship, communion, which is resting in His presence. Thanksgiving is six for, he, for what he's done and what he'll do in praise. Glorify him and his name. When you have a right prayer life and you inhale the breath of God, you now have the authority to breathe on other people, his presence. When you don't have a right relationship with God in prayer, you don't need to be out doing ministry because your prayerlessness and your breathlessness. Because we need to revive people with the breath of God. God breathed the breath of life into Adam and he became a living soul. When you breathe on people, it should be the presence and the breath of God. Because quite candidly, I don't care how many breath mints you have, if it's not the breath of God in your breath, people aren't interested. It's just religion. It's religious jargon. And I breathed some things on people in conversation that weren't God before. I had to call them back on the phone or had to and say, you know what, that wasn't God. That was, I, was, I was speaking without the Spirit. Oh, I had some verses of Scripture. But it wasn't what God was speaking in that moment. I went back to prayer and God convicted me. And when He did, then He gave me His words and this is what they are. I apologize for what I said. This now, I sense, is the Word of the Lord. And people are like, oh, see, it's the breath of God. Oh, it's like a container of air to a scuba diver that's running out of oxygen. When you come and give them a canister of grace from heaven, it sets them free. It may not even change the circumstances they're in, but enables them to breathe within them to survive. You know, we're often in the same circumstances as people are in the world, right? We're in the world, but we're not of the world. So here's the thing. When we are in the circumstances of the world, and God gives us a canister of grace, it doesn't change things. But we're no longer panicked. Because we can... We can breathe again. Isn't that fun? So when somebody's panicked and can't breathe, 
it's time to come buddy breathe with them. Either through intercession or give them a canister of grace, a word and a breath of heaven. But we've got to get it from heaven before we can give it to somebody on the earth. That it might be done in earth as it is in heaven. <coughs> Prayer has two sides. Picture a coin, heads and tails. Heads and tails. One side of prayer is praying to God. The other side of the coin or the other side of prayer is praying against the enemy. Sometimes we pray to God but don't pray against the enemy. Sometimes we bind the devil but we don't lose the will of God. Sometimes we lose the will of God and now it runs into an enemy that needs to be bound. That makes sense? Mm -hmm. Prayer is like a lockbox with two keys at a bank. I'm not going to ask how many people have bank boxes. I don't want to know. However, if you go to a bank to get into your bank box, you have a key and the banker has a key. How many keys does it take to open the box? Two. Well, it's the same way in print. God is the banker. You are the one with the key on earth. Behold, I've given you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed out of the box of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound. But here's the thing. If you read the original Greek language, going in Greek language in that passage, here's what it says. In the original Greek, it says this. Whatever you loose on earth that I've already loosed in heaven will be loosed. Whatever you bind on earth that's already been bound in heaven will be bound. Now, how do we know what's been bound and what's been loosed, what God's already put in the box? We've got to know by the Lord. That's why we pray in the Spirit. That's why we don't know what's in the box unless we ask God. And he's like, i got a healing in the box for so-and-so. Will you go loose it on the earth? We sometimes go to heal the sick and God hasn't put it in the box yet. Hasn't been prayed into the box. And that's why we go and lay empty heads, empty hands on empty heads and we see nothing happen. But if we pray, God will show us His will and then we will release His will in the earth as it is in heaven. There's timing on these things. So when somebody doesn't get healed right away, it doesn't mean it's not God's will. We need to pray and find the timing and release that thing because they're timing for miracles. A man at the gate, beautiful, was crippled from his mother's womb and carried there daily to beg alms of the people. And Jesus walked by him every day for three and a half years of ministry going into the temple. I was with you daily teaching in the temple, Matthew 26, 55. Why didn't you take me there? Yet after Jesus is resurrected... Peter and John go to the gate beautiful and they see the man there begging alms and they said, hey dude, we ain't got a Visa MasterCard or American Express Gold Card. Can't help you out. Don't have any pocket chain silver and gold. Have I none? But such as I have, give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by, took him by the hand and immediately strength came into his ankle bones and he began to walk and leap and praise God. And because of this miracle, it opened the platform with an evangelistic result for 5,000 people to come tumbling into the kingdom of God. See, there's timing on miracles. Timing on miracles. What if Jesus would have healed him like he did so many others? Would 5,000 people have gone and gotten saved? With a cumulative effect and a derivative effect that's reaching the world even today? See, that one guy's miracle in the timing because it was released into the lockbox of heaven. And Peter and John realized it was time. They went and did it. And boom. The miracle happened. The Gospels preached 5,000 were saved. Then they got beaten and thrown in prison for it, which is part of the Gospel. Mm -hmm. If you've got great fruit, you'll have great 
persecution. If you've got great grace on your life, you'll have great jealousy against you. That's why some of the most powerful ministers in the world get attacked by other Christians. Other people are jealous of them. They're like, well, why isn't that? Well, that can't be God. God was going to use anybody to use me. Me, myself, and I, the unholy trinity. We're the ones that he would use. <laughs> they should instead say, wow, I wonder why God's using that person. I wonder what they're doing different than me. You know, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing today as you did yesterday, but except expecting a different result, right? <laughs> why don't we go find out what they're doing and why they're successful? And if the Lord says, I want you to do it too, man, let's learn from them. Instead of, well, they're not a, you know, they were casting out demons in your name, but they weren't from our group. Well, we should call fire from heaven on them. Jesus said, you don't know what manner of spirit you're on. Okay. Prayer has two sides praying to God and praying against the enemy. You don't have true authority to cast out the enemy until you've gotten your own life effectively right with God in prayer. Otherwise, you'll be like the seven sons of Siva who are out casting out demons saying, in the name of Jesus, who Paul preaches, we command you to come out. Well, lower level demons will come out. Because that's just how powerful the name of Jesus is. A non-believer can cast out a demon in the name of Jesus, the small ones, but if he runs into a big one, I know a story, true story. These guys were out casting out demons and they'd heard this one guy you know, had a demon in a certain house, so they figured they'd go by and evangelize and cast out the demon. God didn't send them. They weren't led by the Spirit. They were just using the name of Jesus, and it's got authority. It was working, and they think, we're exorcists. Cool. They got a little full of themselves. True story. You can be sent by God, and you've got His protection, or you can be one who went on your own, and you don't have His protection. If God didn't send you, He's not going with you. He's going to watch you till you come back. <laughs> and when you get to the end of yourself now he'll begin again this is what happened true story they knock on the door the guy comes to the door he's demonized they're like we're here to cast the demon out of you he grabs the one and bites his nose off and spits it on the ground true story the other one freaks out they're not casting out demons now they need medical <laughs> So be led by the Spirit. It can be real dangerous if you're not led. Turn with me, if you will, to Acts chapter 19, and this is going to be our keynote passage. Is this fun? Yeah. Acts chapter 19. We're going to look at three levels of spiritual warfare. Look to your neighbor's sake, three levels. Say with every new level. There's a new level of devil. There's a new level of devil. New level, new devil. Some people never even know what's at the next level. They're so busy fighting that one. You know, some people, they don't fight the demons. They yield to them. You know, sometimes instead of casting the demon out of the person, you've got to cast the person out of the demon they like it so much. Man, come out of that demon. Okay. Jesus said in, in John 14, 31, he says, the prince of the world is coming, but he has nothing in me. Nothing in common with me. I'm of heaven, he's not. 
See, sometimes we don't get free from certain demons because we have too much in common with them. We're still in agreement with them. Amen or ouch. You know, I, I asked one person, you want me to you know, cast that thing out of me? Why would I bother? He's in agreement. See, we wouldn't be praying the prayer of agreement for him to be free. I'd be fighting him and the demon. They're in agreement. They've got the prayer of agreement going on for the demon to stay. No sense in playing around. Now, I can go intercede for the person that he'll have a desire to be free. You ever been a, I don't really want to give that up. I got a spirit of gluttony or something. I just, I like ice cream. I don't know. I like sugar. You know, I don't know if I want to give that Somebody, well, they, I'm going to pray for you. I'm like, I don't like the macadamia nut chocolate chip cookie. <laughs> you go ahead and plug in whatever your thing is. You want to be free. When the sun sets free, it's free indeed. Sometimes we don't want to be free. We like what we got. Okay. Acts chapter 19. Three levels of spiritual warfare. Here's what they are. Ground level warfare is casting out demons. Jesus cast out demons with his word. Yet we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. Wait a second. We cast out demons with the word, yet we wrestle with principalities and powers. They must be different. Amen? Amen. Matthew 8, 17. I think. Heal the sick, cast out demons with his word. Not sure if that verse is right. But we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. Spiritual wickedness in what? High places. Okay? I used to know some... Some high people in low places. <laughs> and, and, and they needed some demons cast out of them. <laughs> but we were casting them into each other. <laughs> you know. so, so the first level is ground level warfare, which is casting out demons. The second level is dealing with the occult. Israel Agra is over in Africa. He's dealing with occult practitioners. They put curses on people. So he's over there in Africa in these crusades casting demons out of people, but then he's also dealing with the next level up, new level, new devil, where he's not just dealing with demons and people, he's dealing with people that put curses and send demons out to attack him. See, it's one thing when you go to cast a demon out of a person, it's another thing when somebody sends demons to attack you. Right. Different level, isn't it? I've had people send evil spirits to attack me, and I've been asleep, and the Lord would wake me up. And as they would arrive, I would be ready and prepped. All of a sudden, you're just, you see it in a vision, you see it in a dream, you wake up, and it's like they show up and you rebuke them in the name of you. I've had people astral project when I was in prison. The astral projected into my prison. So people that I would minister to on the compound, and they were into a thing called the art, or witchcraft, or Satanism, or whatever name it went by. Some sort of evil thing that they were involved in that was occultic, where they would lay in a pentagram, cut their foot, the blood would go into the mouth and the eyes of Lucifer, they'd have candles lit, a demon would come up out and come into their chest with a sulfur smell, and they would become empowered with a false spiritual gift. See, we get the Holy Spirit and gifts, they get their gifts from demons. Make sense? So they get false gifts. They get a familiar spirit. And sometimes a Christian will have the real gift in him, 
but he won't stay holy or she won't stay holy. So you want to know what happens? A familiar spirit comes alongside to help pray with them. And you get a mixture. That's why you got to be careful who you let lay hands on you. Make sure their life is right. Otherwise, they could be imparting a little something to you. You didn't get the spiritual gift from the Lord. You got something you may need to cast out of you. But that's a whole nother message. We'll do that. Deal with that on a different day. Yeah. Amen? So when you allow somebody to pray for you, I went to go graduate with uh, my degree in theology. Spirit-filled, charismatic university. When the man went to ordain me, I had to talk with him beforehand. I said, listen, I said, with all due respect, I want you to pray that God gives me everything that he wants me to have and filter anything that he doesn't when you lay hands on me. I didn't mean to disrespect the guy, but I didn't want anything that wasn't from the Lord. And he thought, he thought to himself, I wish, because scripture says, be hasty to lay hands on no man nor to share his sins. And I wouldn't sit under somebody to lay hands on me. And this guy was an evangelist. Right? But you know what? Let's say he's got a stronghold in his life and he lays hands on me. The good stuff comes with a couple of strongholds. All of a sudden, I got a problem that I didn't have before I had that hand laid on me, but I also got gifts from the Lord. I don't know why I'm on this subject. Goodness gracious. Okay. Ask the Lord to filter anything that comes through so you don't pick anything up. Many will come to me in that day and say, Lord, Lord, did we not cast out demons in your name and do many miracles in your name and prophesy in your name? Jesus never says the miracles weren't real, the prophecies weren't real. He says, away from a doer of lawlessness or, or iniquity, I never knew you were never intimate with me. See, it comes back to intimacy. Intimacy. Relationship. God's not so much concerned about your doctrine that you're doctrinally accurate as, as, as much as you're relationally accurate. <clears throat> He'll fix your doctrine. <coughs> If you'll work to get your relationship fixed. He can't fix your relationship if you don't want to. You can have perfect doctrine and no relationship. People graduate from cemetery, seminary school every day with no relationship. And they come in and preach a dead sermon. You know what the, the, the biggest secret that's coming out in the body of Christ, the biggest scandal now? It's not adultery. It's not homosexuality. It's not drug use. It's not money mongering now. It's that some of the leaders in the Christian community are atheists. And they're so good at preaching a message now. They know the doctrine so well, but they go home and they don't even believe in God anymore. Billy Graham's associate in ministry died an atheist. And he started with him. Read The Case for Faith by Lee Strobel. You'll hear the story. It'll make you weep in the first chapter. How do you start that way and end that way? That's crazy, isn't it? So the biggest scandal that's about to come out in the body of Christ is ministers of sizable congregations that preach great messages are secretly atheists. But here's the interesting thing. They don't have a relationship with the Lord. All they are is a pulpiteer. They do it out of profession because it's their, their gift. They don't do it out of relationship. Let me ask you a question. If I was to go out on the streets and I was to connect with a woman for intimacy and it was her profession, what would we call her? Don't have to say. <laughs> so if you only have intimacy with the Lord to get a message to give it to the people, what's that make you in God's eyes? 
Many will come to me in that day and say, Lord, Lord, did we not cast out demons in your name and do many miracles and prophesy in your name? I will tell them plainly, away from me, doer of iniquity, I never knew you. The word knew you is the same word that's used in Luke 134 where Mary said, how will this be that I will be with child? For I have never known a man. I've never been intimate with one. Same word. It's about intimacy. Into me you see. When you're intimate with somebody, you have sight and vision into their life. There's some people you don't want to be intimate with. Not even in conversation. Some people you just feel uncomfortable. You don't feel like you... They'll go... You share something with them, you'll be on the front page of the paper. I mean, you got telephone, telegraph, and you got tele-Susie or something, you know? I mean, it's intimacy. So, the third level of spiritual warfare is the strategic level which deals with principalities and territorial spirits. I'm going to read a passage here. Acts chapter 19, verse 11. Three levels of spiritual warfare. Level one, ground level, casting out demons. Level two, occult level, dealing with occult leaders and practitioners. And level three, strategic level, dealing with principalities and territorial spirits and spiritual wickedness in high places. And if you go in and try to cast out demons or deal with occult practitioners before you've dealt in intercession with those territorial spirits, you can get your clock clean. Acts chapter 19, verse 11. And God wrought special miracles by the hands of Paul, so that from his body were brought unto the sick handkerchiefs or aprons, and the diseases departed from them, and the evil spirits went out of them. Was Paul a man bent on intercession on a regular basis? Absolutely. He interceded, pressed those things out. People's mindset started to change. That it was easy for him to send in handkerchiefs and aprons because it was out of intimacy that he did ministry, not out of profession, for money. Verse 13, Then certain of the vagabond Jews, exorcists, took upon them to call over them which had evil spirits the name of the Lord Jesus, saying, We adjure you by Jesus whom Paul preacheth. And there were seven sons of Siva, a Jew, and chief of the priests, which did so also. Verse 15, And the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are you? I actually had this happen to me one time. True story. I'm in Springfield, Medical Center for Federal Prisoners. I go up to pray for a guy. It's by the unction of the Spirit. True story. I'm on the hospital floor. It's 3-2. It's the death ward. I go in. There's a guy that's got muscular dystrophy. He's in his chair. He's got his one little handle to move around. He's strapped in there. He's getting worse. And I go in and he's watching a minister on TV who's very anointed. They're having worship. The presence of God is there. There's a, a, a guard there. She's a lesbian. And she lets me up on this, the floor just to go talk to him for 10 minutes. Now, I'm going in there on divine assignment. Because he's going to be healed. God sent me. I get there. Worship's going on. He's in the right spirit. And I said to him, I said, you want to pray for healing? He's like, I'm like let me unstrap you because you're coming up out of this chair. I lay hands on him. I say, in the name of Jesus, be healed. And all of a sudden, I sense an evil spirit. And I said, in the name of Jesus Christ, I bind you and I command you to come out. His body began to vibrate under the power of God. And all of a sudden, it stopped vibrating. And I saw his head go. And it wasn't him shaking it. I said, ooh. We're dealing with and that's when I knew there was a spirit. 
I said, you foul demon, I command you to come out of him. And he'd been in witchcraft in uh, Cuba. He'd been given over to, to Satan as a young kid. And he had a generational curse on me. He went out and committed a couple murders and drug addiction, this and that. Anyway, so he was doing life and, and he, was, he was dying. And he was born again, but hadn't been delivered of that component yet. And that's another issue of contention in the body of Christ. People say, oh, well, you know, can a Christian have a demon? I'm like, well, you know, can a Christian have a demon or can the demon have the Christian? You know, see, we aren't possessed as believers, but we're a trichotomous being, three parts tri, spirit is who we are. We have a soul, we live in a body. When you get born again, your spirit gets born again, you become a third perfect overnight. Look at your neighbor and say, you're a third perfect. <laughs> Isn't that neat? But there's two-thirds that still needs to be worked on. The soul, mind, will, and emotions. We need to get it transformed through the renewing of the mind, through the washing of the water of the Word. And then we need to present our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is our reasonable service. Our job to present our bodies. Our job to get our mind renewed. God enables us, but we're the one to read the Word. Nobody forces you to do it. You do it, but He empowers you to do it. But our spirit, though the outward man perishes, the inward man is renewed day by day. So he does the inward renewing. You're a third perfect. The other two thirds needs work. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Where do you work it out from? Well, where does the salvation start? In your spirit. You've got to work it out into your soul and your body. That's why Peter's shadow healed the sick. He had some soul work done. He got it worked out, and now all of a sudden the glory of God was filled. Make sense? A lot, of, a lot of information here tonight. A lot of yeah. People are like, hmm. You know, people don't do a lot of amen when they're masterful. Get fed? Okay. Verse 15. Oh, let me tell you what the rest, rest happened. So I said, oh, in the name of Jesus, come out. And this happened three times. The third time, the oh, second time, he said, no. I'm like, oh, I was angry. I said, oh, you're coming out of there. In the name of Jesus. I got my voice strong now. The devils don't respond to how loud you talk. They respond to the authority. A 105-pound police officer, a woman in New York City, can stand in front of an 18-wheeler because she has a badge of authority. It's not her size. It's not how loud she yells. She... He's stopping because all of New York City is behind her. She knows her level of authority. She doesn't have to be mean or rude. She carries authority. And if you carry authority in the spirit, the demons are like, I am. Oh, no. But if you don't know your level of authority, you can't increase your level of authority by volume in your voice. They just know that now it's online donkey calling because you don't know who you are. So, so, so the third time, I go to pray for him. Power of God comes on him again. And this is what he says to me. The demon now has shaken the head the first time. The second time, no. The third time, he said... Paul I know, and Jesus I know, but who are you? I said, it's not who I am, it's whose I am. I serve Jesus Christ of Nazareth who came in the flesh. And in the authority of Jesus, I command you to come out of him right now. Body begins to shake again, it stops. And he shakes his head, he said, maybe later. Oh. <laughs> snap. <laughs> I can't believe this. Now I have a vision. While I'm praying, I have a vision of the lesbian girl coming down. She's coming down angry because now it's been like 15 minutes. I'm like five minutes beyond. And so I'm like, look, I got to go. I love you, bro. You know, this and that. 
you're okay, and he's crying, you know, he didn't get healed, demons are speaking out of his mouth, you know, and, and I'm like, okay, this is not a good situation, I'm on the death ward, you know, and, and so, so I step out, and I'm walking down the hall, and she's coming like this, just like I saw in the vision, and I'm like, hey, how are you doing? She's like, I said, sorry, you know, fellowship, and, you know, it's kind of, I got off the floor, didn't go to the hole that day. Anyway, I'm like, Lord, you know, why couldn't, you told me to go up there, why couldn't I cast him out? And he said to me, this one cometh forth by nothing but prayer and fasting. Mark 9, 29, King James Version, adult version. Yeah. Anyway, you know, because some of the other versions, like, leave out the fasting part. You know, that dirty seven-letter word to most Christians, or dirty four-letter word, fast. We like, you know, want the fourth meal of the day at Taco Bell. We got a Snickers hidden by the bed, you know, three in the morning. Like, I'll I tell you how you know you need to fast is is when you think about fasting, you're like, oh, I'm not doing that. That's when you need to fast. Right? When you can like go on a fast at the drop of a hat, you probably don't need to. But you can fast just by doing pushaways at the table. You don't even have to finish the rest of your food. You know, we eat way too much in America. I was at Golden Corral the street the other day with a friend. And you know, I'm thinking to myself, I'm full, but they've got the chocolate fountain. <laughs> I sensed the Lord calling me the chocolate fountain. But I was, I went. I wasn't sent. No, there's liberty. There's liberty. Okay, so we've got ground level warfare casting out demons. Here's what happens. And the man in the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus I know and Paul I know, but who are you? Verse 16, And the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped on them and overcame them and prevailed against them so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. Why, why did he take their clothes off? He overcame them. He prevailed against them. He left naked and wounded. I wouldn't want to be on the receiving end of whatever it was. Amen or out. <laughs> verse 16, verse 17, and this was known to all the Jews and Greeks also dwelling in Ephesus, and fear fell on them, and the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. Verse 18, and many that believed came and confessed and showed their deeds. Verse 19, many of them also, which used curious arts, brought their books together and burned them before all men, and they counted the price of them and found it fifty thousand pieces of silver so mightily grew the word of God and prevailed. First level was casting out demons. The next level was occult practitioners that had books of witchcraft that were worth 50,000 pieces of silver. What is silver? $30 an ounce right now? 50,000 times $30? It's a little bit of bank, isn't it? Notice they didn't sell them to the next person so that they could use the money for the kingdom of God. They burnt them. In Africa, after the witch doctors come, they bring their fetishes and their curious arts and their magical books that are worth big money, and they have a burning service. And when they burn, all kinds of weird colors come up. You can see spirits come out of the fire. Catch it on video. It's pretty interesting. But that's just stuff that happens when it's done the Word of God way. Now, let's look at the third level and the final level, which is, a cult, which is strategic level warfare. Verse 21, after these things were ended, Paul purposed in the spirit when he passed through Macedonia and Achaia to go to Jerusalem, saying, after I've been there, I must also see Rome. Verse 22, so he went into Macedonia. He sent into Macedonia two of them that ministered unto him, Timothy and Erastus, but he himself stayed in Asia for a season. He went back to prayer, didn't he? 
He sent them ahead, but he stayed in prayer because you don't go until God tells you to go. Sometimes you have to pray for days, weeks, months. Sometimes it's years before God will send you in because you're interceding, pressing back the powers of darkness. You're wrestling against that stuff in the realm of the spirit because demons you just cast out with the word. But principalities and powers and spiritual wickedness in high places and rulers of the darkness, you wrestle with them in intercession. Does this make sense? Seven types of prayer, three levels of warfare. See how the message ties together? Much prayer, much power. Little prayer, little power. No prayer, no power. That day I went in, Paul, I know, and Jesus, I know, but who are you? I had no power. I went back to prayer and fasting. Big revival broke out. Prayer groups all over the compound broke out. But you want to know what? The first day I went to pray, I went. Okay, God, I'm here on the back stairwell to pray. Here I am. I'm praying. I think I'll pray in time. Okay, I'm praying. Finally, 15 miserable minutes in prayer. I was done. Kind of like you used to run five miles. Now you can't run five feet. <laughs> You're like on the treadmill. Going, <sighs> You're like a minute and 46 seconds. What happened? <laughs> Where did I lose it at? I used to be such a superstar. I got trophies and medals. and That was then. So you can't live on yesterday's prayer. Right. His mercies are new every morning. So is our prayer life. Because prayerlessness is sinfulness. Far be it from me to sin against God in ceasing to pray for you. When we're prayerless, it's missing the mark, which then calls us to miss the mark in the natural. You remember when Jesus prayed, won't you tarry with me just one hour when he was... And the disciples kept falling asleep. I know you have never fallen asleep in prayer. But I will confess that I have. Here's the thing. Three times, this is going to hit some of you. Three times Jesus came back. Couldn't you tarry with me just one hour? They kept falling asleep, right? How many times did Peter deny Christ? Three times. How many hours did he miss in prayer? Three. See, prayer will strengthen you against temptation. And it will not be a temptation when it arrives. Do you know why boxers train for 15 rounds then knock somebody out in a minute and 48 seconds first round? Because they train for 15 rounds. That's why they could knock them out in a minute and 48 seconds. When they don't train beyond the first round, they can hardly make it to 15. Or they get knocked out. If you train in prayer, you'll knock the enemy out like that. But don't ever think because you knock him out that easily that you don't need to pray as if you were going 15 rounds with him. Much prayer, much power, little prayer, little power, no prayer. How much power do you have? I can tell you by how much prayer you've got. And I can tell by how I see you in the natural operating in the power how much time you've spent in prayer. Or if you've got holes in your armor. Verse 23 and the same time there arose no small stir about that way, talking about the Christians, what they were teaching Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life. In verse 24, for a certain man named Demetrius, a silversmith, which made silver shrines for Diana, brought no small gain unto the craftsmen. Who is Diana? Verse 25, whom he called together with the workmen of like occupation, the silversmith group, and said, Sirs, you know that by this craft we have our wealth. Not that we make our living, we've got our wealth. They're making big money. 
What are they making it off of? Moreover, you see and hear that not alone at Ephesus, but almost throughout all Asia, this Paul, those that have turned the world upside down have come here too. Those apostles are here. What are they doing in our town? We need to get rid of them. Crucify him! How do we get rid of Jesus? He's messing up the Sanhedrin Council of the Seventy. <laughs> Well, what can we do? Well, we can bear false witness against him. Maybe we can get one of his disciples to sell him out for 30 pieces of silver. I mean, God forbid we should read the Old Testament prophecies and confess that he's the Christ. We don't want to lose our position in the synagogue. Now we've got Paul, who's messing things up for us over here. And it could mess up our wealth because we make these silver idols under Diana. Paul has persuaded and turned away much people, saying that they be no gods which are made with our hands. Verse 27, so that not only this, our craft is in danger. It's always an economic thing. You ever notice that? When people start to attack your economics, you get angry, don't you? Well, they're the same way about yours. So that not only by this craft, our danger, our craft is in danger to be set at nothing, but also that the temple of the great goddess Diana should be despised and her magnificence should be destroyed whom all Asia and all the world worshipeth. They were worshiping a principality because Scripture says behind every idol there's a demon. Your football team, if you're not careful, can become an idol. God bless your football team and your basketball team. Praise God for them. But if you have more focus on them than you do in your prayer time with God, there's a problem. But if you spend time in prayer, they'll win. Okay. <laughs> Verse 28. And when they heard these sayings, you gotta pray for the chiefs a lot. And when they heard these sayings, there was a lot of prayer last year. They were full of wrath, anger, and cried out, saying, Great is Diana of the Ephesians, and the whole city was filled with confusion. See, God is not the author of confusion, the enemy is. How did the whole city be filled with confusion? There was a principality, strategic level warfare that Paul had tapped into. He'd stirred that thing up and it had warfare back. It stirred up the whole city. And this is what they said. And the whole city was filled with confusion and having caught Gaius and Aristarchus. Well, some of these names in the Bible are amazing. Hi. Aristarchus, how are you? <laughs> Men of Macedonia. Macedonia. Of course, we got all kinds of crazy names, too. If they read our stuff, they'd be like, those are some weird Christians. Okay, Paul's companions in travel, they rushed with one accord into the theater, and when Paul would have entered into the tent, in under the people, the disciples said, don't do it. Verse 31, And certain of the chief of Asia, which were his friends, sent unto him, desiring that he would not adventure himself into the theater. Some therefore cried one to another, one thing and some another, for the assembly was confused. They didn't even know why they were there, what they were upset about. You ever been to a situation where people don't even know why they're there? Just a crowd grew and they're like caught up in the moment? Crowds in power. Great book, by the way. Verse 32. Some therefore cried one thing and another another, and for the assembly was confused, and the more part knew not wherefore they were come together. Verse 33. And they drew Alexander out of the multitude, and the Jews putting him forward, and Alexander beckoned with one hand, and would have made his defense unto the people. But when they knew that he was a Jew, all with one voice, about the space of two hours, they cried out, Great is Diana of the Ephesians! You know, we have some false religions that go into these frenzies and praise the name of their false god. They, they'll hit themselves and they'll bleed. They'll go into these chants. 
They don't even know why they're there. They're just caught up in the moment for two hours. That's a pretty long chant, isn't it? Talking about how great a self-reputer God is. It's kind of crazy, isn't it? Something stirred them up from the top down is my point. Strategic level warfare in the heavenlies. And when the town clerk had appeased the people, he said, Ye men of Ephesus, what man is here that knoweth not how the city of the Ephesians is a worshiper of the great goddess Diana and of the image which fell down from Jupiter? They got their image from Jupiter, by the way. Something fell from an alien star. And that is God. Verse 36, seeing then that these things cannot be spoken against, you ought to be quiet and do nothing rashly, for you have brought hither these men, which are neither robbers of churches, nor yet blasphemers of your goddess. He didn't even talk against their religion. He just preached Jesus. We need to stop talking against other people's religions. Just preach Jesus. It'll work. It'll stir up the enemy in quick enough. We don't need to give them reason to stir up. Let's just preach Jesus. They'll, they'll get angry as it is. Hmm. Got to pick your battles. Verse 38, Wherefore, if Demetrius and the craftsmen which were with him have a matter against any man, the law is open and there are deputies. Let them implead one another. Verse 39, But if you inquire anything concerning other matters, it shall be determined in a lawful assembly. Verse 40, For we are in danger to be called into question for this day's uproar, there being no cause whereby we may give an account of this concourse. And when they had thus spoken, he dismissed the assembly and then chapter 20, and after the uproar was ceased, Paul called unto him the disciples and embraced them and departed. He could have gotten killed in this situation. When you cast out demons, and when you start winning the occult practitioners to Christ at the next level, you can be rest assured that principality over that region is going to try to take you out in one form or another. The whole key before you move into the three levels of warfare. Ground level warfare, casting out demons, occult level warfare, dealing with occult practitioners and magical arts, and the third level, which is principalities and powers and territorial spirits and spiritual work in assigned places. You better get your prayer life right. Prince of Persia. The Prince of Persia in the book of Daniel. Daniel prayed a prayer. Instantly, his prayer was answered. But... As Gabriel came down to answer that prayer, the prince of Persia battled with him one in 20 days until Michael the archangel came and took over the fight. So Gabriel, sometimes you wonder why your prayer is delayed. It's warfare in the heavenlies. Work with your angels. But you got to know they exist, number one, and you got to hear from heaven on how to work with them. And that deals with reading the word and getting to know God through prayer. Seven types of prayer, confession, supplication, intercession, adoration, communion, thanksgiving, and praise. Two sides to prayer. One side of the coin is praying to God. The other side is praying against the enemy or making declarations. And there's three levels of spiritual warfare. Level one is ground level, casting out demons. Level two is dealing with occult practitioners of magical arts. And level three is dealing with the principalities and powers and the spiritual wickedness in high places. And the prince of the power of the air, who comes to blind the minds of those who are perishing. Tonight I have a prayer that I want to hand out and I'm just going to go ahead and you could go ahead and pass those about. We've also got something that Jeff put together. It's called How to Pray. We're going to hand these out as well. 
And we want to empower you not just to have a neat little teaching with seven points and a poem, but to put it into practice. Scripture says, don't be just hearers of the word only, deceiving our own selves, but let's do what it says. So if we've heard the word tonight, then let's put it into practice. And I guarantee you, you'll have the most wonderful time in the Lord. It gets exciting when you actually do the things that are in the book. This is the most boring book in the world if you don't do it. Amen. It's the most boring book in the world if you don't put it into practice. But it's the most exciting book in the world the minute you start to put it into practice. It's not the book. It's the attitude toward the God of the book that makes a difference. Here's the prayer. And I often pray this prayer. By the way, I'm not much for written prayers. This is like a jump start on a battery and a guideline. I don't normally hand out prayers for people to pray, but this one for years has been so powerful, and it's anonymous. In fact, I had it about 15 years ago. I couldn't find it in my computer. I went on the internet. There was like half a dozen sites had this prayer on it. I couldn't believe it. I just called up Daily Prayer Cover. If you lose your sheet of paper, go on Google it. Daily Prayer Cover. And here's what it is. It says, Dear Heavenly Father, we're praying to Him. I pray this prayer in the power of the Holy Spirit. Now we begin to pray against things. In the name of Jesus, that's our authority, I bind, I rebuke, and bring to no effect all division, discord, disunity, strife, wrath, murder, criticism, condemnation, pride, envy, jealousy, gossip, slander, evil speaking, complaint, lying, false teaching, false gifts, false manifestations, lying signs and wonders, poverty, fear of lack, fear spirits, deceiving spirits, religious spirits, hindering spirits, retaliatory spirits, occult spirits, witchcraft spirits, including Jezebel, Delilah, and Apollyon, and the destroyer. Spirits of Antichrist and all familiar and territorial spirits. So we pray to God, then we pray against the enemy. Two sides to prayer. The heads and the tails. Can't pray against the enemy until you pray to God. I bind all curses that have been spoken against me. I bless those who curse me and pray blessings on those who despitefully use me. I bind all spoken judgments made against me and judgments I have made against others. I bind the power of negative words from others and I bind and render useless all prayers not inspired by the Holy Spirit, whether psychic, soul force, witchcraft, or counterfeit tongues that have been prayed against me. I am God's child. I resist the devil. No weapon formed against me shall prosper. I put on the whole armor of God. I take authority over this day in Jesus' name. Let it be prosperous for me. And let me walk in your love, Lord. I declare that the Holy Spirit leads and guides me today and fills me with all needed gifting and graces. I discern between the righteous and the wicked. I take authority over Satan and all of his demons and those people who are influenced by them. I declare Satan is under my feet and shall remain there all day and night. I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I am God's property. Satan, you are bound for my family, my mind, my body, my home, and my finances. I confess that I am healed and whole. I flourish, am long-lived, stable, durable, incorruptible, fruitful, virtuous, full of peace, patience, and love. Whatsoever I set my hands to do shall prosper, for God supplies all my needs. I have all authority over Satan, all demons, and beasts of the field. God, I pray for the ministry you have for me. Anoint me, God, for all you call me to do for you. I call forth divine appointments, open doors of opportunity, God, retain encounters, and ministry positions. I claim a hedge of protection by the precious blood of Jesus around myself, my spouse, and my children. You just name them. Austin and Zach. Throughout this day and night, I ask you, God, in the name of Jesus, to dispatch angels to surround me, my spouse, my children, my godchildren, grandchildren, great-grandchildren today and every day, and to put them throughout my house and around our cars, souls, and bodies. I call on you, on your holy angels, to protect my house from any intrusion and to protect me and my family from any harmful, demonic, or other physical or mental attacks. I ask this prayer all in the name of Jesus.
God indeed is my Savior. I am confident and unafraid. My strength and my courage is in the Lord, and He has been my Savior. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. That's a great place to start as a jump start of your prayer. You want, want to know what will often happen? You'll be praying something, and one of the words that you say will ring in your spirit. And you'll just deviate from the page and begin to pray. And you may never even come back to the rest of it because now you're in the Spirit. See, you pray without the Spirit. This helps you pray biblically with the Spirit and it will catapult you into the Spirit. Lord, jumpstart our engine. In Jesus' name, let us pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for the power of prayer that comes from intimacy and relationship with You that we might know You and the power of of your resurrection. We pray for the lost, for your will is that none perish, but all come to repentance. We pray for our unsaved loved ones, and we pray for those that have been saved and are backslidden in sin, or worse yet, the sin of religion that's kept them from relationship. Set them free. Mess up their theology so they can have right theology about you. When they put you in a box, God, we ask that you would kick the box open and step out and tap them on the shoulder and let them know you're over here too. Father, we ask and thank you for continued flow of the Spirit in this group. And as we go from here, we ask that your presence would go with us and would be carried back into our homes. And we ask and thank you for this in Jesus' name. Those in agreement said, Amen. Amen. If you enjoyed this message, please visit us on davidherobedian.com. There are more messages available. And we also appreciate your prayers and financial support. You can make a donation online or you can send a donation to P.O. Box 1685, Independence, Missouri, 64055. Heart of America Prison Ministries, P.O. Box 1685, Independence, Missouri, 64055. Or visit us at Heart Prison Ministries. Dot org or davidharabedian.com. God bless you richly.